0: listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Thank you guys for being with us today as we wrap up our King Me series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Uh, So if you're just joining us, or let me just remind you what we've been doing in this series. We've been looking back at Israel's story, going back to the beginning when God establishes them as a nation. And specifically, we're looking at when they are, are searching for a king, when they are wanting someone to come and be their king, and so that they can be like the rest of the worlds that are, or the rest of the kingdoms around them. And we started this series by looking at what God's original intention was for his people. Like his original intention for them was for him not to just be their God, but also to be their king. He wanted them to live in this kingdom that he was building for them. And he wanted them to to be good uh, citizens in here, which looked like them being different than all the other nations around them. He wanted them to be a blessing. And all they had to do was hold up their side of the bargain. All they had to do was hold up their side of the covenant that God was making with them. To be different, to live lives that were different from all the other nations that were around them that would be contagious for those people because they would be excited to see who these people are and who their God was. And because of that, they would want to then also be a part of the kingdom that he was establishing and also serve a king like that. But that's not what happened, is it? What we saw happen instead is that Israel chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And what that led to was them finding and serving the other gods that were around them, the nations that were left in the land, they, they just decided to imitate them and follow the, the same gods that they were. And a cycle of livings got spun into existence where they were just doing their own thing. They were doing what they wanted to. And it had consequences, dire consequences, which led to them crying out to God to be rescued. And since they were God's chosen people, he reached out and did rescue them, only for them to once again go back to doing what was right in their own eyes. And the cycle just kept going and going. Eventually, the people of Israel completely rejected God as their king, which brought us to Saul. They asked for their, a, a king. They wanted to be like every other person around. They wanted to be like just all the other nations. So they said, God, give us a king so he can be like everybody else. And Saul came on the scene. And at first, it seemed like Saul was the perfect choice, right? Remember when Josh talked about him a couple weeks ago? He was tall, taller than everybody else and handsome. He was the prototypical king, big and mighty, perfect person to go out and fight their battles. And he did okay. Like in the beginning, he had God's blessing. He had God's spirit upon him, but he could, he just struggled to live in full obedience to God. He struggled to not do things his own way. And he would get nervous when things didn't happen in his time frame, and then he would go and do his own thing, which led to God removing his blessing, removing his spirit from Saul. And God anointed another, a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem named David. And last week, Josh talked about David and we saw that he was not the prototypical choice for a king, right? He was the youngest of a large family. But the thing that set David apart was his heart. The texts throughout that section of text in 1 and 2 Samuel and then even in the rest of the text describes David as having a heart after God's. Now having this heart did not mean that he lived perfectly. We saw that he failed. And he failed at some epic levels. But what set him apart, what made his heart like God's, was how he responded in those failures. Because his responses reflected who God is. And as we saw, like because of this, God did... He was one of God's favorites. Like, God did not remove his spirit from him like he did with Saul. Instead, he makes him a promise. And I want to start our time, before we get into our last king, reading about that promise. So if you have your Bibles, you can come over with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is uh, starting in verse 11. Actually, the last half of verse 11. Here's what it says says the lord declares to you that the lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors i will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood i will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong i will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him. So as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your kingdom will be established forever. This is the promise. And today we are going to talk about one of those offspring of David that succeeds him. His son Solomon. Someone that we will see seems to be the fulfillment of this promise that God is making to David this day. Now Solomon's rule, as you can see by this, our timeline here again, lasts about 40 years. All right, And as you notice at the end of his rule, something strange happens. Our timeline splits, which we will talk about towards the end of today. But Solomon's start to his reign, his kingship, started very much like his father's did, with a little bit of drama. But rather than being a battle between houses, two houses, this was a battle within their own house. And one of David's other sons, Solomon's half-brother, decides that he is going to make himself king secretly. And this is even before David is dead. But this uprising is squashed. And Solomon is anointed king. So Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, becomes the next king of Israel. And yes, that is the same Bathsheba from last week in David's life. The one that was his motivation to murder another man so that he could have her. But this is Solomon's reign. The next time we see Solomon in the text, we see him worshiping God. He's at one of the high places in, the, in Israel. Now you've got to remember at this time there is no temple. So they didn't have a central place to go and worship. So they had these different spots along the, the, the area, the, the nation, that they would go to and offer their sacrifices. And so Solomon goes up there after he's been anointed king and he gives this big extravagant offering to God. And one night as he falls asleep, God shows up to him and says to him, ask of me anything that you want. Anything that you want. Can you imagine the God of the universe coming to you in a dream and just saying, there are infinite possibilities. Whatever you want, just ask of it. What would you ask for? Let's look at what Solomon asked for. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we get to read what Solomon asked for. Verse 7. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God, give me wisdom to be a good king. And this request pleases the Lord. It pleases him so much because Solomon didn't do what so many others could have or would have. He didn't ask for for power, for money, for influence, for a vengeance against his enemies. He asked for wisdom. And because he did, God granted him the other things. He said, because this is what you've asked for, because you've asked for wisdom to lead with justice, I will also give you wealth. I will also give you honor. And when Solomon wakes up the next morning, he realizes that it was just a dream. And I wonder if he was wondering if it was actually going to be true. Was he just having a a crazy dream, or was God going to actually come through? Well, the very next story that we read in the book of Kings, where we just read, There's a story that many of you have probably heard or you've probably heard the principle that is drawn from it. You see, there are these two prostitutes who lived in the same house who had children just days apart from one another. And they come to the king and plead their case for him before him. And what had happened is one of these ladies in the middle of the night had rolled over onto her baby, killing it. And instead of grieving her loss she swapped her dead baby with the other lady's live baby. And so they're standing before the king asking him to rule on who the mother is. And after Solomon hears each of their cases, he says, okay, someone bring me a sword. He's like, I'm going to take this sword and I'm going to cut this baby in half. And then each of you can have part of the baby. And the the mother, who is the actual mother of the child, says, No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Just, Just give the baby to this other woman. And the other woman's like, Yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a great idea. That way neither of us could have her. And Solomon says, Okay. I think I figured that out. This woman over here is the real mother. Give her the baby. And he was able to discern what was actually going on based on their responses. Now, news of this verdict spreads throughout the region. And all of Israel hears how Solomon judged this case, and they were amazed. Why? Why were they amazed? Well, these are two women who are at the bottom of the social structure, two prostitutes. Who cares about them? Why would they deserve justice? But Solomon gives them the justice they deserved. And so now people know, we have a king who gives justice to all, who's going to rule the way he's supposed to. And word of his wisdom just starts to begin to spread all over the world. Here's what King says a little later on about Solomon's wisdom. Chapter 4, verse 29, it says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east. And greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. Including Ethan the Ezarite, Wiser than Haman, Kokol, Darda, and, and the, sons, uh, the sons of Mahol. And his frame spread to all surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. We have a book that contains many of those proverbs. And he, uh, in his songs numbered 1,005, he was a musician just like his dad. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Seems like he was maybe a little bit of a scientist. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of this wisdom. Solomon had become kind of a big deal. And it wasn't just Solomon becoming a big deal because of the wisdom. It was also the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel also got to take part and be blessed because of this. The nation began to explode. And Solomon, the, uh, the area that Solomon was in charge of, that he reigned over, grew from this little tiny area that uh, is right there, right uh, by the Dead Sea up into the Galilee. It grew all the way up to the Euphrates. Solomon's reign and his influence because of this gift of God was expanding. And the people of Israel were experiencing peace for the first time in decades. Everything that God had promised Solomon was coming true. It was coming true because this is what it is supposed to look like for someone who is obeying God's commands and living the way he's supposed to. And this is the kingdom that Solomon was reigning over. And it seems like everything is perfect. It seems like everything is just as it needs to be. There's peace in the land. People have everything that they need. There's a temple in Jerusalem, a central place for everyone to come and worship God. God's very presence lives in this temple. And they are being a blessing to those around them. And they have a king who rules with wisdom and justice. And he must be obeying God, because otherwise, why would all this good stuff be happening? But even as perfect as it all seemed, there is something amiss with Solomon's reign. I mean, God has obviously blessed Solomon and all that is going on With, with wisdom and wealth and influence But there is something lurking under the surface. If you know much about Solomon, you know he's really known for three things, right? Wisdom, having a lot of money, and what's the third thing? A boatload of wives. 700 wives, 300 concubines. A thousand wives. This is a stat that I cannot even begin to comprehend the logistics of. But it's as I was working through this, I had a story that came back to mind for me, though. A memory from my deployment to overseas. Uh, there was one day, my squad is out, and we're just doing regular patrols. And we're right, right along this, this ditch, this canal on this dirt road between two villages. And we decide to stop and do a quick tactical checkpoint. And so we're just stopping cars as they're coming through, looking over things, making things, everything's good. Uh, eventually, this car pulls up, and we have the driver step out, and we have him do what we always do with, with drivers. We have him start opening all the doors, and he pops the hood we ask him to pop the trunk, and he pops the trunk, and we see this. Two sheep. It's hard to see. but there are, There's two sheep in this dude's trunk. This is not what we expected to find. And so we're all very curious. So I grab our interpreter, and I go over to the gentleman, because I want to know what in the heck is going on. I'm like, sir, what is, what's with the sheep, and what are you doing in this village over here? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm heading over here, to visit my wife and spend a couple of days with her. I got some supplies, the sheep are for her and stuff. I'm like, visit? Your, do you not live here with your wife? He's like, no. I live in this village over here with my other wife. I'm like, oh. And now we're really confused. We got sheep in the trunk, two wives, separate cities. We're like, what is going on? Like, why do you not live in the same city as your wives? He's like, well, they, they hate each other. They can't stand to be with each other. Wife number one was not a big fan of adding wife number two, so I had to put her over in this other village just to keep the peace and my sanity. Can you imagine what it was like for Solomon having a thousand wives? Like, I can barely be a good husband to one. I got adding an additional one, let alone a thousand like, I, no, thank you. I'm not interested. But how Solomon's wives got along was not the issue, was it? There was something deeper at work. There was something far more sinister happening with his wives. Something that was not just damaging to Solomon, but damaging to his relationship with God and inevitably damaging to the country. We turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11. We can read about that. Starting in verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry. With them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had seven hundred wives of royal birth and three hundred concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as his, as the heart of his, David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, the god that asked you to sacrifice your children, to put them on top of a a, a hot idol. And as they just baked on his arms, would slide down into the fire. This is who Solomon is now serving So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a phrase that we've heard before, isn't it? It's the same phrase that we heard during the time of the judges. The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did what was right in their own eyes. And this is exactly what Solomon did. He did what was right in his own eyes. We should not be surprised then that God was angry. And he came to Solomon and said, Because of what you're doing, I will rip the kingdom from you. I will rip the kingdom from your family. But because God loved his dad, David, so much, he told Solomon, I won't take the whole kingdom, just most of it, and give it to your adversary. And I won't do it in your lifetime because of David, a man who was after God's heart. And after Solomon dies, that's exactly what happens. 10 of the 12 tribes are ripped from Solomon's family and given to someone else. And they create the northern kingdom of Israel. And David's family, Solomon's family, is only left with the tribe of Judah. And they create the kingdom of Judah in the south. And so begins a long line of kings. This is is that branch in the timeline. And then we get a bunch of kings in a row on both kingdoms who struggle to do what is right in God's eyes, struggle to follow him completely. This is the legacy that the wisest leader who has ever lived and ever will live, leaves. Solomon, who had everything the world Said That a man would would, would want He had power He had knowledge Influence Wealth Women Everything the world says that you would want But it never was enough He was never content He was always looking for the next thing He just kept going for more And if we were honest with ourselves and we sat back and we truly thought about it, we are really not that much different. How many times in your life have you said, if I could just have this thing, then everything would be better. If I could just get this promotion or this job, then I'd finally make enough money to be secure and have the things that I want. If I could just afford this house, if I could just get this one house, then I would finally be able to feel safe, and my family would have a home. If I could just have this one more drink, then all of the pain would finally go away. If we could just get the right person in the White House then everything would be back, better and we could go back to being a Christian nation. There's always going to be one more thing that we want to pursue, that we believe will get us what we want, what we need. But more of you fill in the blank, anything will never fill that emptiness. It will never fulfill you like you think it will. Actually, that's not true. There is one thing. Something that I know, that I've experienced being added to my life, that I've pursued, that has filled that. But don't take my word for it. How about the words of the wisest man who has ever lived. Solomon is attributed to the authorship of a book in the, in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And it's a book that he talks about all the things that he pursued in life. Because he was just trying to find, like, what is the meaning of all this? What is the purpose of this life? And we get to read about that in that book. And I want to read to you guys how this book ends. So in Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, verse eight, it says this: "This is Solomon. Meaningless, meaningless," says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And here's a little inclusion by the uh, whoever his scribe was. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. He did not choose his words quickly or without thought. And here are his final words. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. In the end, the only thing that matters in life is to fear God, to revere him, respect him, worship him, follow him and keep his commandments. Everything else is just meaningless. Everything that we saw in these three kings that we've talked about over the last few weeks wasn't enough. We saw Saul, a king, who was right in the eyes of man, someone who was tall and handsome, but was only a man of partial obedience. We saw David, a man who was after God's own heart, but struggled in his failures and had great, great personal failures in his life. And we just talked about Solomon, someone who seemed to have it all, wisdom, riches, everything that you think you could need. But he was a man that believed all the press he was getting from mankind. And so instead of keeping God's commands, he accumulated more wives, gold, and horses. And it led his heart away from God. Each of these kings squandered their gifts and opportunities. And they fell short of leading God's people down the paths of righteousness that they were supposed to. and it will take a far greater king for them to be able to uh, that that they have an experience it'll take a far greater king than any of these mortals to help the people truly truly escape the cycle of sin that they've been in it'll take a far greater king for us to truly break free of the cycle of sin that we are in it'll take god himself And that is exactly what happened. And that is exactly what we get to celebrate this time of year every year to remember when God came to earth to establish himself as king. And so next week as we start our Advent series we're going to dive further into that idea of God becoming king and making room for him in our lives as such. At this time, we're going to move towards our time of communion together. Now, if this is your first time with us today, uh, we get the privilege and honor of doing communion, celebrating it each week with, uh, with one another. To celebrate a king who came to earth to establish his kingdom that we are all invited to be a part of. He is establishing a kingdom that all are invited to be a part of. And he is a king who fought our battles and still fights our battles. And every week when we do this, we remember one of the the biggest battles that he fought for us. A battle against sin and death. And he won. He has given us victory over sin and death. And now it is up to us to walk the path that he calls us to, to to live differently among the people that we are with. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which I give to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. then after the meal, he took the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. Let's remember together our King. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as always, I am so grateful for your text, for this book that you've given us that tells your story of who you are. Lord, that you are the one and only God. And Lord, that you are our one and only King. Lord, that you have come to earth to, to establish your kingdom. And Lord, that you have invited us all to be a part of that. Lord, I ask as we look, we leave here today and we think about all these people that you have shown us their lives and how you've interacted with them, Lord, that we will not just say, oh, was, those are great stories or those people really messed up or that doesn't apply to me, Lord. These, these, are, these stories are our stories. Lord, we too look for people who look the part to lead us. Lord, we look for people that have all the wealth and influence to lead us. But those are not the things that you're looking for, Lord. You are looking for not just leaders, but followers, Lord, who have a heart after yours. Father, I pray that you give each one of us that. Lord, let us serve you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and all of our all of ourselves. Let us be living sacrifices to you, Lord God, especially as we go into this season of craziness. Lord, help us to stop and remember that we serve a king who is like none other, who has established a kingdom that is greater than any that we've ever seen or heard of. Lord, may you be lifted high and glorified in our lives today. Tomorrow and forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from real life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.